when I'm looking back about what kept our democracy and held it together, it was a lot of individuals at spaces of influence in the election, election officials, Republican, Democrat, other, who held the line. And I still believe in those people, and I still believe that those people are out there. If I give in to my cynicism, then I give up on them, and I can't give up on them. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My three guests today are Margot Guernsey, Sarah Archambault, and Liz Howard. Margot and Sarah are filmmakers who made a very timely movie called No Time to Fail about election workers in Rhode Island during the 2020 presidential election. Liz works at the Brennan Center for Justice as senior counsel for their democracy program focusing on election security, so she provides a national perspective. You might not think that a film on election workers would be the stuff of gripping drama, but it is these days. And Margot and Sarah located very good real-life characters to follow in their intense efforts to get things right for the voters. If you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, you're in luck. There are events this week, including a free screening on October 27th. Go to their website, notimetofailfilm.com, and click on See the Film. I enjoyed the conversation, and I think you'll find it well worth the listen, and the film well worth the watch. So, first my sponsor, then my interview with Liz, Sarah, and Margot about the film No Time to Fail. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. I'm going to ask each of you, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Surely the filmmakers are going first. <laughs> are you equal drivers of this or? Margaret and I are equal drivers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then I, you flip the coin between you and. Margaret will go first. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for having us. My name is Margot Guernsey, and I'm an independent filmmaker based just outside Boston. I tend to make films about labor, about people, the work that people do that's, that drives our society and that is most often unseen. And that is how I came to the story. I lived in Rhode Island for close to 15 years. And so though I no longer live there, it still feels like home in a lot of ways. And I look forward to the conversation. Okay, Sarah. Yeah, my name is Sarah Archambault, and I'm an independent documentary film director now. This is my first time directing and producer. I've produced five feature-length documentary films. A couple of them are out in release right now. I really tend to films about underdogs. I like films where we're opening ourselves up to experiences that no one else has known about or 
people are just discovering for the first time. So I really like that moment of discovery that a documentary film can give you. And I live in Providence, Rhode Island, and I am from Rhode Island. So these relationships that we have with the people in the film are quite dear to me because this is my community. I'm Liz Howard. I'm the senior counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice. I'm the former deputy commissioner of elections in Virginia. I'm not from Rhode Island, but certainly I think that this film is an accurate depiction of of what election officials across the country go through and are going through right now. Would you mind just saying what the Brennan Center is for those who don't know? Obviously, it's a very prominent group in this area, but just say a bit about the mission and, and your place in it. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan policy institute. So we focus on reforming and certainly in today's environment, protecting our democracy, defending it from attacks. Important thing to be doing right now, unfortunately. Can you, two filmmakers, tell me a little bit more about sort of where the idea comes from very initially to do this? Because election workers are kind of odd heroes. They are regular people in so many ways. They are doing an unglamorous task, I think. In this film, I think they come across that way. How do you decide, this is what I want to spend a lot of my time and effort doing, and how do you choose these particular subjects? I'm going to speak for Margo here as well a little bit, but we are both civics nerds. We really love civic culture. We've been deeply involved in civic culture in different ways over our lives. We both come from families where so many people say, don't talk politics at the dinner table. That was the only talk at our dinner tables. We kind of grew up in this culture where we cared about elections. We cared about our leaders. These were things that we were talking about all the time. For myself, in addition to filmmaking, I used to work with the humanities councils, um, local humanities councils, also unsung heroes of democracy, in my opinion. But I was the executive director of the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. And through my role with the Humanities Council, I was also working on the Civics Commission for the state of Rhode Island, where I really became so deeply aware of the lack of understanding around voting, voter education, the kind of civic mission of schools and how that's been lost. And so it's something that I have been following and been interested in for many years. Now, as it came to this film, a very dear friend of mine works with the Secretary of State of Rhode Island. I was speaking to her one afternoon about the challenges they were up against. This was, you know, right after the pandemic started. And that we were talking a little bit about the challenges they were coming up against with the various elections in the coming year, because of course, it's not just one day in November. They had the presidential preference primary. They had the regular primary. There were several elections that they had to accommodate for the pandemic. And I, I mentioned to her, because of course, my brain works as a filmmaker's brain, would the secretary or would anyone in Rhode Island be interested in having a film crew follow this? Because this really is the first time that election workers will be faced with these special challenges. I think at first it was too overwhelming to think about all what they had to take on in addition to having a film crew come on. 
I brought Margot into the conversation because she had already made a documentary film about a politician in Rhode Island, another underdog. So she had built a lot of trust in the community as well. And we did a more formal pitch to the Secretary of State to say how important this was. And I have to say that Secretary Gorbea, she really understood people don't understand what election workers do, and that transparency to the process was actually going to help folks understand and trust the process more deeply. And so that's how we really started. It really started as a backyard conversation between friends that grew into a vision for what was really important for the cultural conversation. Margo, what's your version of that? You know, when Sarah called me and said we should make this film, immediately it, 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 it drew me in because, as I mentioned before, I'm very drawn to showing the work behind the scenes. It's that other people that none of us see that even I often don't see. Right. Though it's, it's the work that holds everything together. And I also thought, how in the heck are we going to make this interesting for people to watch? Because it is such mundane office work. Um, but still, I could sit there for hours and just watch Kathy Placencia. I mean, to me, it's this is the work that runs everything. And this is what I. I want to show the world is what I want to see. This is this is what I think we just as a society we undervalue. The thing that that changed for us is we started filming with this mission of showing the American electorate what it takes to pull off an election. That was the film. And then as we were filming, the threats to election workers just kept coming in bigger numbers. They were coming to Rhode Island. It starts with hate mail. Then there's death threats. Then post-election, we all know what happened. So the film itself, it's such the classic story of if you're really going to do this work well, you have to just step back and listen. You can't pretend to write the script before the film is made. And that that really happened here because we did not plan to tell the story that would show you the 2020 election as it really happened. We plan to show you the, how, how elections are made. <laughs> so we ended up in a different space just because of the place we're in as a country. A documentary film, it seems to me, is such a leap of faith to imagine that something worth a story worth telling will unfold and you know when we look back at it right now after january 6th after trump and the election denialism and after the efforts that are going on right now to alter the rules and to tilt the process even more than in the past it seems like such a great decision to have been there what surprised you guys the most as you were filming this you know, what surprises me most in the national conversation right now is that the folks that we filmed follow the rules. They adhere to the rule of law. They're interested in everyone voting, but in a way that is very much following rules. And so to see that getting attacked puts everything on your head that we've all understood about politics in this country before, right? So the rule of law is what's being attacked. What was different, what surprised me filming was that the amount of work that these elections officials put in. So I actually would tell friends in the middle of all of this, the height of this, which was October 2020, it was practically traumatic. It was traumatic to watch. It was traumatic to be filming someone who would literally drop her kids off at school, show up at 8 a.m. at the office. She's a single mother and then not get home to her bed till 3 a.m right? Managing homework from home. And that's just not one night. It was every day. 
And it really started in July. I mean, the hours that literally you don't sleep probably didn't start till September. But to be so close to that was traumatic. And so the amount of labor it takes was a big surprise to me. And the reality check that elections, and to Liz, this won't be a surprise, but for somebody who's never been on the inside, you know, we all, when something, when when the work, the edit of this film, it was taking longer than expected. So we had to change our deadlines. We were going to deliver on one date. We had to extend the edit like three or four months. We extended it a few different times because the work just couldn't get done. You can't change election day. You literally cannot change it. If your office gets COVID and is in the hospital, that doesn't change it. There's no plan B. Election day still has to happen. And everyone has their constitutional right to vote, and that needs to be available and accessible. So to be in a workspace where you can't change a deadline because something happens is, I think, something most Americans do not understand about election work. I've followed elections really closely for my entire life also, and I still learned quite a bit, I think, in the particulars of this. It's the edge cases that cause the difficulty. Somebody says they made an application for an absentee ballot. It didn't come. How do the election workers deal with that? Are they unsympathetic or do they go drive to the person's house and deliver something so that this one voter out of all the voters can do it? And, and that happens in this movie. Do you think you fully conveyed what that role is like? Or is there any difference between what you see in the film and like reality in these election offices? I would say that my experience on the ground, I mean, you're talking, Nathaniel, about something that really surprised me in the process, because government workers just get slammed and critiqued constantly. Have I done that in the past? Maybe. The respect I have for how much labor goes into solving the problems of each voter who calls hours of work, untangling bureaucracies to help these people to make sure their vote gets registered was astounding to me and incredibly surprising. And I saw that in every single office and space we visited. We're lucky in Rhode Island, at least we're lucky in, in terms of uh, the case of this film and film uh, making the film really possible, is that we have a statewide election system as opposed to like different counties within a state. So we were really able to watch the full breadth of the system from what the Secretary of State's office does to what the Board of Elections does, we have a board here in Rhode Island, to what the local city clerks and uh, local canvassing offices do. And in every single one of these spaces, we saw the same amount of dedication, the same amount of tireless commitment to every single vote, every vote, like that whole, that whole idea that every vote counts, you think is some kind of like empty platitude. And I saw that happen. I don't mean to speak for Margot, but I believe we saw that happen every single day in the field. And that was remarkable. In the film, there's a tweet that a Dropbox is full and someone can't put their ballot into it, which actually it's not really true, but it's getting full. And so someone hustles out, empties the Dropbox and brings it back. Lots of little things like that. My general takeaway from the film is if you view this fairly, you can see that the system is very fair and orderly and that nobody is trying to mess with the vote counting. But I could imagine that with what's been ginned up and with the conspiracy theorists, 
that are out there that they might see everything like a ballot drop box being unloaded as an opportunity for somebody to do something nefarious. Did you worry about that while you're doing it or while you're editing it? And how do you address that issue? We did worry about that. And that's actually why we have those footnotes in the film to try to give some context to viewers who might be new to the process. At the same time, it's been incredibly important to us that people meet and understand that election workers are human beings. They're your neighbors. They're just like you and me. And that means they work really hard and there are checks and balances in place and mistakes can happen, but mistakes happen because they're human and they're real people. The thing about that you would know if you were to look deeper into that is if somebody were to go out and instead of empty the drop box, let's say, just take those ballots to home. Let's just make some conspiracy theory up, right? There are checks and balances. So that at the end of the day, when they went into the system to look at the totals, they would be missing however many ballots that is, let's call it 100. There would be 100 ballots missing. So there's immediately a red flag and there's immediately an investigation into, we had 100 people vote there was 100 people who voted, but the ballots aren't here. They're gone, right? So there are checks and balances in place to catch things like that. Right towards the end, someone says elections are not perfect, right? And we shouldn't expect them to be. And I think that's that's reasonable, but people do find ways to look through those cracks askance, right? I, I, for a process to be human, it doesn't mean that it is criminal or nefarious. There are mistakes that have happened in elections. They happen on odd occasion, but not with the kind of regularity or massive size that would influence outcomes. Mistakes do happen. What's not happening is fraud. And these are very different things. (laughs) What we were hoping to do with the film is to, as Marga was saying, instill a a bit more, um, to impart more understanding about the experience of election workers so that we can do some of that trust building with American citizens watching the film. But I think that you pointed to something important, which is that as important as the system is and how it's carried our democracy for a very long time, it is a fragile system. And it's a system that we need to be caretaking. We hope that the film will inspire us and inspire more folks (laughs) to get involved and to really be paying attention to how we can strengthen our democracy and the process. It seems like the whole situation in some ways lends itself to storytelling with the big deadline of the vote, with the kind of crescendo, the buildup to that, with the anxiety that is growing in the office about pulling it off. Do you agree? Yes. And we really were committed from the beginning of showing the whole process through. So Americans are used to election day being the end of the process for election officials. That is the middle of the process. And so because of that expected crescendo to election day, building a story arc that ends after the audit is done, which is extremely boring, was a big challenge. I would love to hear from Liz and hear a little bit about how the film's storytelling or, you know, how it resonates in places that aren't Rhode Island. Well, I would say that, you know, election officials across the country can see themselves in this film. You've got a a great cast of characters. And I think the fact that these election officials were willing to allow you, right, who they didn't have personal relationships with, right, to come into their homes, to follow them 20 plus hours a day in the middle of some of the most stressful parts of their job and their career. 
when it's very clear in the entire movie that they know the stakes and they want to help every eligible voter vote regardless of the circumstances. And sometimes that requires individual connections and sometimes it just requires a lot of paperwork. One of the most touching scenes to me that I know, I, I believe many election officials can you know, empathize with is when Kathy goes to the end of the line when the polls close. And she has to stand there and tell people that are trying to come to line that they cannot vote. No election official wants to do that. But as you said, they follow the rules. This is the rule. And they're going to make sure it's followed. One of the things, Liz, I wanted to ask you about is like, I think it's widely reported and people are aware right now that the right wing is trying to install people into roles watching the polls and participate in the process because of their suspicions about fraud that come from President Trump. Is that all bad? Can the system absorb them and let them see that there are these checks and balances? Or how much do we have to fear that these are people who aren't just motivated to keep things clean, but are motivated to cheat. I don't want to be in the business of undermining our process by pointing to the other side and saying they're not going to cheat unless they really are. What's your view from Brennan of like what's happening out there right now? So for years, election officials have encouraged people who had questions, right, of any political party to come be a part of the solution, come serve as a poll worker, come volunteer, right? Learn about all of the safeguards that are in place and that are being implemented across the board. Of course, there are concerns about efforts to encourage people that may want to disrupt the process um, to serve as poll workers this year. We have just come out with some guidance from multiple states about uh, the safeguards um, that ensure that poll workers or poll watchers must follow certain rules. So election officials are not unfamiliar with people that have questions about the process or there are safeguards in place that will ensure that the election officials can do their job and that the um, things on election day will will go smoothly. But, you know, it's absolutely a concern. A movie like this is not likely to get the kind of viewership that a movie with Tom Cruise is going to get, even if it might be a little more important to our country. Is Brennan Center involved in helping to promote this to people who care? How do we think about getting this out to an audience that needs to see it? It seems to me exactly the kind of thing that should be viewed by someone who has their doubts about the process, but will they? Margot and Sarah know much more about the promotional plan than, than I do. We are working with a number of partners and organizations nationally on the local level to try to raise the visibility of the film. We're in a limited theatrical release right now. So we're showing in several cities across the U.S. But because the midterms are looming, we wanted to make sure that viewers had a chance to engage with the film and see it. So we've planned kind of a big event on our own <laughs> with our, our allies in the democracy field. On October 27th, we're going to be doing an online streaming event, a conversation with national leaders in um, the democracy field, including Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson from Michigan, 
including um, the former election directors for the city of Philadelphia, Al Schmidt, other election officials who are on, in the field today do, working on elections now, to discuss what's happening for election workers today. After that streaming event, we are offering the film to be streamed for free. Anyone in America who signs up for the screening can see it. We are also pursuing distribution with various distribution companies right now. We're in a couple of conversations. We're really hoping to have some positive outcomes in the coming year so that the film can be in conversation even in the lead up to 2024. How much work is it to pull off just a day like that? It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Thank goodness we have built such strong relationships with partners like the Brennan Center, like the Democracy Fund, Issue One, Common Cause. There are a number of amazing groups. The National Association of Secretaries of State, National Association of State Election Directors. These organizations are so dedicated to nonpartisan and bipartisan support of our democracy. They care about this film and they want to help us get, get this out. And through those partnerships, we're helping to raise the visibility of the film. In this immediate moment, we're hoping that we will have more support through distributors in the long term. Did anybody else make a documentary along the same lines in 2020 about election workers or is this the only one? As far as we know, this is the only one, yeah. This is the only film we know of. So there are plenty of documentaries that follow elections on the other side. Either they follow the journalists or they follow a campaign. But the only film we know of that, that peels back what it looks like on the, on the side for election workers is this one. What would you like to see happen as a result of making this movie? If you could get what, you know, if you could really obtain what you'd love to see change or be recognized, what would be the dream? You always want to be somewhat humble about these films. I think films can influence a cultural conversation in really significant ways, but it's really the work of the people on the ground that do the change making, right? So without the folks on the ground, there is no real change that happens. A film is a message that is maybe in circulation for a year or two, but it's really organizations and the people who continue to spread the message that really make the difference. You were asking us earlier in the conversation about what surprised us. I don't want to get too emotional here, but what surprised us when we were in the field was how effective disinformation was in stirring the pot and how even voters who are who were regular voters, citizens who are engaged, they began to have these doubts or they realized they didn't know as much as they thought they did. And the way that it disrupted the work of election officials, really overturning the apple cart for them and continues to, was deeply surprising to me and worrying. And so the effect I would like to see the film have on the public conversation is to have people have a better understanding, to come to the table instead of with accusations, to have them come with questions and even maybe a desire to support this work and participate in this work. I would love to see it become part of curriculums, either at the high school or university level, so we can get more young people involved in our democracy. So I would say, though, I want to hold on to my humility for what um, a documentary like this could do. I do have high hopes for the change making it might inspire. How about you, Margot? 
I don't want to repeat anything Sarah said and everything she said I would agree with. People, at least in our field, are often um, say, you know, films don't change the world, people do. That is why building partnerships with folks like Liz Howard at the Brennan Center and all of our partners is so important because the film in and of itself is a tool. That is what it is. I also think that if there's a way for the film to help people let their guard down and just be human with each other, if that can happen when people watch the film together, that would be a step in the right direction right? To take out the disinformation and just look at each other as human beings. We're all Americans. We all ultimately probably want similar things for our families, for our communities. And, you know, part of the rules of the game are choosing our elected leaders through a fair and secure system, which we have. And so if there's a way for the film to break down the barriers and just look at each other as humans, that would be a victory. I wanted to add just one thing too, which is we continue to talk about these significant partners on the ground, but this was an independent art project (laughs) that Margot and I and our creative collaborators made together. And that we, in many ways, are also the audience for this film. What happened was we became converted to the significance of this work and its value just in the process of making this film. And so I think as people who, when thrown into the hellfire of of day-to-day elections work, we became real champions for it. And we're hoping that other people can have the same kind of conversion that we did by walking through the fire with them. I had a guest on my show some time ago, a guy who I worked with when I was 22, 23, Kim Brace, who runs something called Election Data Services. He's been involved in redistricting and election administration technology, and he tracks what systems are in in what counties or what states. And when we were talking about election workers, people that you kind of covered, this category of civil servant, he really almost came to tears, I would say. He became quite emotional thinking about what they're going through and the role that they play in our democracy. It seems to me like the closer you get to this, the more potential there really is to have your heartstrings tugged by like the importance of these mundane things. From the national standpoint, from a Brennan Center, from an organization like that, there's usually a distance, I think, from the nitty gritty. How do you see this arena right now, Liz? To Sarah's earlier point about addressing mis and disinformation, I think this can really help, um, even at the big picture level, because elections have grown increasingly complex. However, so many people have no problem, and it's very easy to go vote. So they lack appreciation for all the work, all of the safeguards, everything that has gone in to making it so easy for them to walk in and cast their ballot. And I think the more people learn about election administration, and the details may vary between Rhode Island and Virginia and California. However, I do think that this provides insight, right, and education about all of those systems that are in place. And I think that that's um, incredibly important as we look ahead to combating mis and disinformation, which is a huge problem that our election officials are facing right now. If this documentary is in a category of highlighting what is true, are there other things, Liz, that you've come across that are 
bubbling up to you that are creative projects or journalistic projects? What else are you aware of that that people are working on in this area? I will say, and and you know, you just kind of start to get a, a glimpse of it in this film, but threats against our election officials, our public servants, are on the rise. Really nasty threats that have caused election officials to have to leave their homes. Um, you know, law enforcement have instructed them to pack go bags for their children in the event that the threats get, you know, too concerning. And Reuters in particular has done a really good job of documenting many of these threats, putting just some of the voicemails that election officials across the country have received. You know, at Brennan, uh, we've done, you know, a little video about it, um, but certainly many others have kind of picked pick that up and are continuing to to work on it and continuing to document these these threats. Again, as you can see from this movie of these public servants that are working around the clock um, to make sure that you have a polling location, right? To make sure that they you have poll workers at your precinct, right? That's the only thing I can think of right now. I want to just ask one coming back to the film as a creative product and and as a as a movie in its own right, which it is obviously what for someone who hasn't seen it say a word or two about why they should to choose this one over others i watched it i liked it i i'm a kind of a civics nerd maybe like you guys characterize yourselves but talk a little bit more more about the film and why it's a watchable thing liz do you want to do that first since you didn't make it what, what would you say to someone about why they should watch it you know, I'm also somewhat of a civics nerd, but I care much more about people than processes. Um, and this film, you you feel all of the election officials struggling to do their jobs. You know, and when Kathy's on the phone talking to her daughter saying this is, you know, virtual mommy, you know, you just get that you feel what they're going through. And it's just so moving. I would echo Liz. I, You know, I think all of us in the storytelling space what you're drawn to is the people. And these people are so special. They're funny. They're hardworking. They're irreverent at times. But I think people will really connect to these characters who are just like them and that they'll be able to make their way through and understand a bureaucracy that, that is either scary or confounding through their love of these characters. I'm voting character. <laughs> the other thing that I would love as somebody who is um, been making documentary films for a while now, Margot and I, in our creative process, had a lot of, this, this film could have been made in a lot of different ways. This could have been an interview-driven, testimonial-type film. This could have been a film that relied on archival footage that shows you how voting has happened forever. But we made an important aesthetic choice with this film to make it a verite film and to really put viewers in the shoes of these election officials, because that is the kind of experience they have not had before. We felt it was the most nonpartisan way into the space it's like the show don't tell school of filmmaking, where if we just show people what's happening as plainly as we can, that they will find their way to their own conclusions. And that was a deliberate choice on our part. 
It was also a deliberate choice to reach out to certain people who we wanted to hang out with with a camera. And we did that very carefully to do our best to show urban and rural. And they're also nonpartisan. They do not want to tell you how they vote in the film. But if you look them up, if you want to look them up, you'll find that they're all across the political spectrum. And I just want to echo that I think the pe- the reason to watch this film is all about the people. You will love the people. And, you know, the other day, someone who isn't in film said, why do you guys say characters? Is this a real story? So I just want to emphasize, these are film participants. These are real lives. We sometimes make that mistake when we're just sort of talking about film, but they're real people and they're just like your neighbors. And so you'll get to meet them if you watch the film. If you don't mind, one of the things I'm very interested in is the entrepreneurship that's involved in pulling off something like this. You guys have done a number of films along the way, but can you talk about just what it took to, you talked a little bit about like finding subjects and get talking the state into it, but like finding funding and finding the team to do the editing. It's a big task, I know, and it's not a short one. I mean, it's helpful for you to name that. The truth is being an independent artist is never going to be easy, and you have to passionately love what you do because it is. it takes a lot to pull it off. I mean, it's just an, it's an immense amount of work. And, you know, what What has kept me going I from the very beginning when I was filming Kathy in her office and she's not, I you know, at midnight, I, I, I'm going home to my kids and she's not. Right. And like, if she can do that, I can do this. But you, you have to have with it. It's not a day job. You have to just you just have to believe passionately in what you do to, to be able to pull all the pieces together for what's now been more than two years. It's more than belief, though. Right. Oh, yeah. First of all, I mean, as Margot's saying, you, you're, you just have to be scrappy. Ninety percent, 95 percent of this business is no. And so you get no's from everybody and you have to let those no's gently move through them. They cannot affect your ego or you cannot let them land in a way that's like, okay, that closed door means I don't go through the door. That means I have to go through the window. So when you say no, you mean like someone says no to funding you. Someone says no to being a character in the film. What are the other no's that one runs into? The biggest no's that you that you bump up against, because Margo and I were very transparent with the subjects of the film, like this is what we'll take. You'll have a microphone on you. It's the middle of a pandemic. At that time, there was no vaccine. So there were many factors into why people might say no. So definitely some subjects, not many, honestly, quite honestly, we were so lucky. Uh, but some folks were asked us to press pause or film for from a distance or or what have you. But sometimes the no comes from what you're shooting. Most often the no's will come from funders. Again, we found those funders who either knew our prior work and trusted our prior work and could act swiftly, or who deeply cared about what was happening in our democracy, saw what was happening and thought that this film was uniquely timed to do a thing that they wanted to see happen anyway. But we had to chase those funders down. We self-funded a small, a bunch of the beginning so that we could show them our proof of concept so that we could show them exactly what it was that we had in mind. 
So there is, you know, Nathaniel, you, you name it, but it's like, it's a, it's a scrappy process. You have to plow through a bunch of no's. And at this point on this end, we're getting no's from some distributors. We're getting no's from film festivals. The best advice I ever got in filmmaking was from Charlotte Cook of Field of Vision, an amazing production studio, amazing executive producer in her own right. And she said to me, always lean into the people who love your film and you will find your path through those people. And that has always proven to be true to me with this film and others. But particularly with this film, both Margot and I have reputations as filmmakers and what we're able to accomplish. And I would say both of our reputations as artists also helped us gain traction in ways that first-time filmmakers may not have in this, in this unique environment. Have you screened this for the characters in the film? Have, have you seen them see it? And what was that like? That's actually part of our artistic process. Before we locked the cut, but when we had a film had taken shape, we all gathered with them to show it to them because it's extremely important to us that they see how, you know, they gave us access to a really stressful time in their lives. The least we can do is show them how they're going to be portrayed on film. That to me is always a very, very special moment. And actually the day that we gathered, it, it, there was, it wasn't just rain because I'll drive in anything. It was like a, a storm and I couldn't come. And so so Sarah had me on FaceTime so that I could watch their reactions. And then we did some other screenings after that with other folks because there were so many folks in our film. But it's a very special time to have really been in the trenches with folks and then watch together what that looks like on screen. It's really just a special. Time. How did they respond to it? really positively. They've been so, I mean, you, some of them will, are, are, are on social media spreading the word, but they've been very supportive and were very supportive of how we edited the film together. I think the, the one edit, which I think everyone here will appreciate, Rob Rock, who is the director of elections at the Secretary of State's office, the one thing he said is near the end of the film, if you watch the film currently, he says at the end, I didn't vote for the guy who won and I didn't vote for the guy who lost. So you can trust me. And in our almost finished version, we have him just saying, I didn't vote for the guy who won. So you can trust me. And he wanted it to be crystal clear how nonpartisan he is. He's like, no, I also said I didn't vote for the guy who lost. He wanted it. So th that kind of thing. We will, you know, we listen to that. That is, that's how he wants to be representative is his political opinion. So that's the only edit I actually remember. If there was anything else that was very small like that, but they really appreciated it. Yeah, I would say that the other, um, the other kind of little tweaks or changes that we made, what we did vetting with the characters themselves, but also with election experts to make sure that everything we were showing was accurate, that everything was abiding by the rules. And there were some instances, as Marco was pointing out earlier, where if, if you don't really understand the process, this footage could be repurposed for a way that would serve in, in disinformation. And so we made sure to add what we're calling like little footnotes <laughs> into the text or into, into the image so people can gain an understanding of what they're actually watching. Because as you know, with some of the disinformation that happened in the field, people were saying, well, someone handed someone else a thumb drive. Well, I mean, these things are not happening in the way that they're being portrayed, but there are parts of the process that do involve different kinds of 
keys or what have you. We wanted to be crystal clear to communicate those things. But as Margo was saying before, part of our aesthetic process is definitely including the subjects in a review of the cut before it goes public. And that's because they need to recognize themselves in the film. And if they don't recognize themselves, it feels like an unethical next step forward to then release it into the world. And so it's really important to both of us that we do that work with our subjects. When any system faces challenges like our voting system does right now, it could go in different directions. It could unravel. We could have political violence. We could have people grabbing ballot boxes. All kinds of disruptions could happen. Or it could spur a lot of improvement and cleaning up of systems Are you three generally pessimistic or optimistic about this point that we are facing in our democracy? Which way do you think it'll go and and maybe why? There are serious concerns that we are facing as a country and that our election officials are facing. However, we were able to, because of great election officials like Nick and Rob and Kathy and Miguel and so many of the other people that you see in this film to put on what was described as the most safe and secure election in 2020, despite the pandemic, despite being chronically underfunded. What we've seen coming out of 2020 moving ahead as election officials, you know, there are serious concerns. We've seen, not surprisingly, a large number of election officials leaving the profession. From a survey that we conducted earlier this year, about one in five local election officials indicated that they didn't plan to serve through the next presidential. But what we're also seeing, and what does give me hope, is that we're seeing election officials who are exceptionally resilient and who are dedicated to helping our democracy and to helping their colleagues. So there are other entities that are popping up to bring together and to partner with other public servants across the spectrum so that we can continue to have safe and secure elections. I think it's hard, given the conditions that we're seeing and some of the news reporting that we're seeing about these exact things that Liz is talking about. I mean, one out of five leaving the profession is deeply unsettling news. It's hard to tell, though. Like, I don't know what percentage typically leaves at this stage. Is that double what the turnover normally is or is it the same? I'm not entirely clear, although I I have, have that same reaction, obviously. I will say we don't have, um, you know, a lot of good information. It's very hard to track election official turnover, but the stats that I'm seeing are seriously concerning to me. So, for instance, in North Carolina, at least 43 out of the 100 election officials in that state, right, are going to be new in the 22 cycle. In Utah, about a quarter of the election officials have left since 2020. I don't know what the numbers were at this part of the cycle four years ago, but certainly this seems concerning. These things are really concerning. As you can see, I think in the film, institutional knowledge does pay off when it comes to running elections. I think it's very hard not to have, under these conditions, not to have, for me personally, my cynicism win out. But I I think creation is always a hopeful act. And I This film is a creation of hope. When I'm looking back about what kept our democracy and held it together, it was a lot of individuals at spaces of influence in the election, election officials, Republican, Democrat, other, 
who held the line. And I still believe in those people. And I still believe that those people are out there. If I give in to my cynicism, then I give up on them and I can't give up on them. We have to believe that the that truth will prevail. And we're talking about a system of elections that the facts show how secure it is and the facts show how hardworking our election officials are. And I think at the end of the day, the future is going to be based on what's real. Well, I, I see nothing in history that says that the truth will prevail at any particular <laughs> point in time. That's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> I do think that the impulse of people like you to look at it carefully and to show it is part of the resilience of the democracy and part of the defense of the democracy. And I really honor that among so many people who are working to keep the system and improve the system. Is there a question that I should have asked you folks that I failed to? Democracy is ultimately about participation, and perhaps that's what I was trying to say, but democracy will never succeed unless people participate in it. And you, there are rays of hope with, as, as we see more disinformation on the one hand, you also see more and more people stepping up to be a part of their democracy, and that gives me hope. And I do want to say, like, Nathaniel, you were saying before, like, if maybe having some of these people who are questioning the outcomes of, of 2020 come in and see the process and then they also become inspired to hold the line, that is a possible outcome. I do worry about these folks who are leaning toward the election denying. Yeah. Um, the, re the really outlandish people with with just a, a, f a conception that is not grounded in reality that are exposed to a lot of QAnon and disinformation and conspiracy theory, that they can really be disruptive. And I think that fundamentally, some of those folks don't really believe in democracy or democracy doesn't serve their goals. And I think that's part of what we need to be watchful for as voters. We need to be showing up and really thinking about these down ballot races. You know, I was listening to Pod Save America earlier today. And some of these candidates are sneaking through because people don't really pay attention to the Secretary of State race. In some states, they're appointed. In some states, it's an elected position. But it's a position that people don't really do their research on frequently. And also just people don't always vote on there's so many th reasons to vote for or against a person. Like you could be mad about inflation and vote one way. And you're not thinking about like democratic rule following or something. It's not the top of mind for most people at all. No. And sometimes people are just, they just party affiliate and then they don't think about the details. So yeah, these, these races matter and we need to start paying attention to, you know, who's occupying these spaces and what their feelings are about free and fair elections and accessible elections. Liz, anything else you want to say? No, you've covered it. Okay. All right. Liz, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Yes, thank oh. you for your time, Liz. We really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for the invitation. That was Sarah Archambault, Margot Guernsey, and Liz Howard talking about the film No Time to Fail. They're at notimetofailfilm.com. 
This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.